0: Well, good morning. My name is uh, Jared Weaver. If you haven't seen me around, I'm fairly new. I'm kind of the nerdy pastor around here. Um, I deal with a lot of the nerdy stuff, so, uh, so welcome to the NerdFest. That's what you got. Um, but the, we're about to enter, although you wouldn't feel that or know that by this morning, but enter my favorite time of the year, and that's the fall. The fall is my favorite time because that face-melting heat is about to be done at some point. And Thank you. Thank you. And the many colors of the leaves are about to come. At least in the Northwest, that's what we get a little bit of. Uh, I hope we have a little bit here uh, in California, and uh, most of all, why I like the fall is there's kind of two things. I love MLB playoffs, uh, but I also like football as well. And football is on its way. It is that's right, right. (laughs) We uh, yesterday, if you're a college fan, things got kicked off, and this Thursday, if you're an NFL fan, things will also. Uh, get started. And so I want to give you a little refresher on some of the components of football, mainly just one of them for my uh, point this morning. And that's this is uh, what is that thing called that happens between plays? Huddle. Huddle, That's right. So you guys are football fans. You're with me here this morning. Uh, Huddles are important because they refocus and they refresh the team. It's an opportunity to to get reconnected. And as a NorCal guy now, uh, I need to know my context and so my context is is, is 49er fans. So I, I wanted to connect with you this morning in finding significant 49er moments. And the unfortunate thing is is I kind of had to go backwards in time quite a ways. So I did come up with this, though. Own the last 49er Super Bowl victory on VHS today. That's, that, that's all I got. But reality is I did have a 49er moment for you, a better one, and that is that... Uh, One of the more famous huddle stories comes from Super Bowl XXIII, 1989, and that would be Joe Montana. You guys all know who that guy is right there. Yeah, you're feeling it. You're living the glory. Uh, The 49ers are down by three points, three minutes to go against the Bengals, and that's a pretty pressure-packed moment, right? All of your season coming down to this one particular moment, and when you would expect your leader would probably come in and be like, okay, you're going to do this, 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 and just really start dialing in on the details. The story goes that Joe, Joe Montana says, hey, isn't that John Candy? Right? That, that was his response to the team as they're huddling up. And what he does there is he gets their minds off the gravity of the moment. And he resets their task before them. Like, okay, we're okay. We're going we're gonna to get this done. Because a well-timed huddle serves to refocus the team. To refresh the mission and to clarify roles. Timeouts and huddles aren't just for sports teams, are they? We need them ourselves in our own lives. In fact, Drew just talked about last week we had a staff elder retreat where it was like, okay, time out. Let's get together. Let's huddle up. Are we still on mission? Are we still carrying out this idea of being a church planting church, of multiplying ourselves? Are we still doing that? How are we doing that? What's happening here? Onity and I ourselves, we do similar things. We do dates. Uh, Right now, we do lunchtime dates because Xander just started uh, preschool or whatever it is, pre-K, one of the two around here. Uh, He is jumped in. And so we have a two-hour window from 12 to 2.30. And so this Sunday or this Friday, we went and had uh, some coffee at Starbucks. And we actually realized we like each other. That's what's great, right? Like, that's what a date is. Like, hey, you're my friend. Cool. Like, we love each other. That's good. And so... You, yourself, you might have weekly work meetings, you might have family nights that you have, etc. We all have our, our ways that we, we, we come together and we refocus ourselves on the mission. Because here's the truth. Distracted people living in an age of distraction need regular reminders of God's upside down, death is life, losing is winning kingdom. And so we need reminders, don't we? The disciples need a reminder of what Jesus is up to of what Jesus' mission was, because his mission isn't always what our mission is, is it? And so today we get a glimpse of Jesus' kingdom huddle. He's gathering his boys together, he's got them, he's on the way to Jerusalem, and he's grabbing him by the face mask, and he's, and he's bringing him in. He's like, okay guys, here's what we're up to, this is what we're doing. You can Consider this morning as an all-access pass. Or, or after halftime, they come with mic'd up, and you get, a, you get a chance to go in and hear what's going on inside the huddle. And so here we are, we're inside the huddle, and this is what we're going to see this morning. With the journey to Jerusalem concluding, Jesus gathers his disciples to reiterate the mission of death, confounding them and leaving them alone on the journey. Because ultimately, who is the only one who can walk the journey to Jerusalem? It's Jesus. That's where Jesus is headed. And that's what he's telling his disciples this morning. So let's read that this morning. In Luke 18, starting at verse 31, and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So let's break this huddle down. First, let's find out what's the purpose. What's the purpose of this huddle? Why does Jesus call this huddle? And the the, the purpose is is that it's a kingdom reminder. Look at verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, we're walking through the book of Luke. One of my favorite things to do is is to continue to build off the word of God. Last week we talked about uh, the rich young ruler, and in that was verse 29 and 30. Take a look at that. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come eternal life. So what has Jesus just told them? There's good news to following Jesus, isn't there? You're going to get some gains. Things are coming your way, not only in the next life, but this life. Kingdom gains in the black part and the yellow part of the rope. But Jesus won't let them hijack what those gains would mean, what the kingdom stands for. See, their mindset at this point still, Jewish state, Kingdom of glory, glistening golden thrones, global dominance, being able to to strike down lightning on those who would stand against them. That's the disciples' mindset. And we see here their lack of understanding makes that even more clear. Now, there's a precedent for Jesus doing this. Luke 9. Jesus follows up Peter's accurate and proper confession of Jesus as the Messiah. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we're hoping for. You're the Luke Skywalker of our people. You are going to save us. You're going to rescue us. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse 20 of Luke 9. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And on the third day be raised. So yes, you're right, I am the Messiah. It's just I'm not the Messiah in the way you think I'm going to be. I'm going to redirect that. I'm going to give you a kingdom redirect. And this is what Jesus is doing here with these disciples is, yeah, kingdom glory is coming, but it's not quite what you thought it was going to be. And so what we have here is Jesus is showing us the upside down kingdom. Die to live, serve for greatness, and lose to win. Those don't make sense. That doesn't make sense in our economy, does it? Our way of thinking, that's not how you work. And so friend, Jesus is huddling you up this morning. He's got you. And he's reminding you that his kingdom, his plans, his ways... Are not yours. He works outside of what you can see, outside of what you can understand, outside of what your eyes can behold. God doesn't operate based on the things that we understand, does he? And thank the Lord. And so Jesus is reminding you of that truth this morning. So you who are asking, God, what are you doing? Is there any of you this morning? Like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? Why am I still stuck in the same job? Why did my dreams for my family or my marriage, why did they not work out as I thought they would? Why do I have to struggle with my health, God? What are you up to? Why did that thing have to happen to me? Fill in the blanks. Why did that have to happen, God? And friend, I don't have the answer because I'm not God. But what I can do is provide you with an encouragement that is anchored on a D and I when dreams are dashed. We need something to hold on to, don't we? We need something to hold on to that, that God is still up to something. And I pre- present to you... Huh. Whew. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look not to the things that are seen, but look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's going to hold you through when you're like, God, I don't understand? What holds you through in that moment is the truth that God is up to something, either in this life or the next. You see difficulties in the black part of the rope pale in comparison to the glory that is yours in eternity. Do you hear that? This light in moment, light and momentary, eternal, weighty glory is yours, Christian. He's up to something. You see, in the kingdom of God, every setback is a setup, either in this life or the next. And so how is God giving you that kingdom reminder this morning? What is he telling you? What is he saying? I, I got it. I'm doing my thing. The kingdom's still advancing. Because despite what it seems, the king and his kingdom still advances. And we see that in our second breakdown point, And that's this. is the game plan. What is Jesus' game plan? What's the purpose of this huddle? And now what, what's he going to do? And that's this, is that the kingdom advances through the king's death. The kingdom is going to actually advance through the king's death. So, so when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, it will mean an unjust, shameful death of the disciples, Messiah, King, their great hope. Now remember, what have these disciples done for Jesus? Just simply given up everything, right? And, and now the plan is, you're going to walk into Jerusalem and you're going to die. That doesn't sound like a very good plan to me. But what do we know about this? We know that it's his plan, isn't it? This is his plan. Look at it. And everything that was is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus is headed into Jerusalem. It's his plan and what he's up to. And I want you to remember something this morning and that's this. J- Jerusalem doesn't happen to Jesus. It happens because of Jesus. He's not subject Your Jesus is not subject to what's going to happen in Jerusalem. In fact, it happens because of Jesus. Because he sets his face like Flint to go to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, I didn't write it up there. But when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He charts his course. He's headed to Jerusalem. It's his plan. It's his choice. And in this plan, he uses a title called the Son of Man. Now growing up, I I thought it was a title that meant that he was a human, and that son of God meant that he was God, and so that's what we have. But that's not necessarily the case. Went to seminary and realized that that's not how it works. You see, the term is from Daniel 7.13, and it's describing a figure who will receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom. All people, nations, and language are going to serve him. This son of man, what the disciples are thinking of that picture up there, that's what they're thinking right? Jafar, bear with me. I'm a six-year-old, almost four-year-old. We're in the Disney world right now. And so, so for us, good versus evil has something to do with Disney somewhere. But what they're thinking of is an all-powerful sorcerer, an all-powerful, Jesus. somebody's going to rule over the world and, with, and flex his muscles, and flex his power. But Jesus reveals that it's Death. The Son of Man comes to die and ultimately will rise. So it's death and resurrection that will fulfill the Son of Man's plans. And just in case you aren't confirmed that Jesus is in control, he goes on to give the very particular details of his death. So I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to go down. This is exactly what is going to happen when I get into Jerusalem. Verse 32, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. You see, what Luke wants you to know, what Jesus wants you to know, is that Jesus and his coming death is absolutely no surprise to him. He knows every detail. He's got his eyes wide open as he walks into Jerusalem. I mean, he knows the details. He knows that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. That Yes, in fact, it's the Jewish leaders who who rise up and, and come against him, but they can't kill him. So they turn him over to the Roman emperor, the Roman rulers, Herod and Pilate, who actually then go about the business of enacting the crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels, those are the, 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 the books of the Bible that tell us the story of Jesus. And they all have an account of his, of his Passion Week and, and the crucifixion of Jesus. And they all include various descriptions of Jesus being shamed, of him being mocked, spat on, flogged, or a term for that is whipped. And he knowingly walks into this gruesome death. Jesus willingly goes the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But it's through Jesus' death comes that last part. And on the third day, he will rise. So there's the good news, right, of the gospel, is that in the gospel, death is never death. Death only is something greater, an opportunity for something greater. And there's a surprising reality I want to highlight for you. Is that Jesus doesn't come to show you his power, but to serve you with his power. Jesus doesn't come to to flex his muscles and say just how fantastically strong that I am. Not in the way we would think, at least. But he comes to use his power to serve you and me and us. Like, think with me for a moment. The more unlikely the service, the more powerful the impact. The more unlikely the service, the more powerful the impact. I'm not amazed when when I get that opportunity to go out on a date with my wife, which happens occasionally, right? But, but I'm never amazed when they bring me my food, when a waiter brings it to me. I'm never amazed when the waiter decides to pour water in my glass. Why is that? Well, because I'm paying for it, for one. But, but, but it's an expectation, isn't it? Right. Like, like I'm here, and your job and your role is to serve me, and hopefully I'm going to tip you well, and that's going to be a good, good opportunity for all of us. Or I'm never shocked when I'm at Starbucks and I'm sitting there and and I look over and somebody's wiping the, the table and I look up and it's a barista. That doesn't even catch my eye, does it? It's like, oh, okay, they're doing their job. Like, just keep on doing what I'm doing. But unexpected service, that catches my attention. If so I'm at Starbucks and I'm doing my thing and I look up and it's a, and it's a customer, uh, you know, getting their stuff together and cleaning up their mess. You know, I have kids and so, you know, the mess that we made with the donuts that are everywhere and, and trying to put all that together. That catches my Oh, look, look at that person. They're a kind and courteous person. Look at them serve this place. That catches our attention. This week with Hurricane Harvey you know there's usually when something like this happens every celebrity every football player every uh, athlete they have to put their 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 platitude on facebook and a lot of times it's just that but jj watt a defensive guy for houston uh, so that's where it was obvi- where it was at obviously he used his platform to raise over 17 million dollars he didn't have to do that this isn't his hometown but he said this is my adopted town these people need me i have a platform i can serve them with this and that's the unexpected reality of your king jesus for you is that the king of the universe willingly serves you with his death that's his plan that's his objective that's why he's headed to jerusalem And the third breakdown for us is there's people in this huddle. Who are the participants of the huddle? We have Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples. Now, what's Jesus' role? Let's, let's go back through that just a little bit here and find out what Jesus is up to. Jesus knows the plan. Uh, he's the one who's, who's got it all in his head. And he leads the plan. Like, he's the one out in front setting his course for Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to execute the plan. So, Where do the disciples fit in? What's their role? Well, they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. So what is the disciples role? To stand around looking dazed and confused, right? Looking like big dumb animals. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Jesus is doing it. He's doing everything. He knows the plan. He's leading the plan. He's executing the plan. Jesus is up to something so what does it mean that they're confused? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus' message was unintelligible gibberish. Oh, we just can't understand his words. He's speaking in words that we don't understand. No, it means that the ways... Instead, it means that the ways of God's upside-down kingdom doesn't make sense to those operating from an empire mindset. Like when we're set on ourselves, when we're set on this empire, the black tape part of the rope, when we're set on that life, we don't understand the ways of God. Because what are God's ways? beyond us, farther than us. They aren't our ways. Unless, of course, God graciously and generously opens their mind beyond empire-driven, black-rope living. And what does God do? God, in his grace, in the resurrected Jesus, Luke 24, 45, comes and does that very thing. He knows that we are so set on what? What? Our empire life, our own thinking, our own ways. That he, he comes and Luke 45, 24, 45 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So what does Jesus in his grace do? He comes and opens up their minds so that they can understand the ways of God. And so friends, let the disciples encourage you this morning. Let them be a bit of an encouragement to you. You don't understand God's ways in your life. You don't understand what God's up to in your life. You don't understand what's happening. You're in good company. Like you're right where you should be. Now, if you don't understand the ways of God, you are exactly where God wants you to be. In fact, if you know the ways of God, yeesh, right? That's a little scary. Because God isn't concerned with your ability to understand his ways. He's not concerned with your ability to decode what he's up to. He's like, oh man, I just wish they could understand what I'm up to. He's, he's not interested in that. That's not God's objective. Because what's at the heart of needing to know, ultimately? Ourselves, right? It's a heart that wants to sit where? On the throne. It's a heart that wants to invite Jesus to come on up. Why don't you sit next to me, Jesus? And you know what? When you tell me what's going to happen, I'll give you the yay or nay, the check sign. I don't want to do that today. Eh, No, not that one. No, no, no. That, that, That one I like. That one I'll do. But here's the truth, friends, is that Jesus only occupies vacated thrones. He only occupies vacated thrones. And it was hard for the disciples to get down off the throne. Because they, like you and me, at least if you're like me, they like one cheek living. It's a, G, a join me Jesus mindset. And so don't worry about whether you understand God. That's not the objective. You're not going to understand God. Because if you did, who would you be? God. And there's only what? One God. And so don't worry about whether you understand his plan for your life, whether you understand what he's doing in your marriage, what he's understand his plan for your children, his plan for your career, plan for your retirement, plan for your health. Rather worry about whether Jesus is on the throne of your life in that area. So, our final take home is a grab the face mask question. Because here we have Jesus, he's huddling up his disciples, and he's grabbing each one of you this morning. He wants to get your attention, he wants to pull you in, and he wants you to look him in the eyes. For some of you, he's, he's reaching up real strong and real hard, real firm, right? You get down here, and you, you look me in the eyes. And others, he's like, okay, come on, come here, come here. You know, just gently coaxing you, grabbing you. But he's got you locked in with your face. And he's asking you the question, will you trust me? Will you trust Jesus with your one thing? Will you trust me with your one thing? Because last week, Drew talked to, tell, told us to consider, what is our one thing? What is our one thing that if, if I lost that one thing, it would feel like I died? Like, that's why I get out of bed is for that one thing. And if you, if you make me get down off the throne of that God, I don't think I can handle it. What is that one thing? It might be our children. It might be their future or their happiness. Like the idea of them being missionaries in a foreign land just, is just too much to handle. It might be our career's trajectory, where it's headed. Like, that's the one that I need to have my career because there's my identity, God. I need that. It could be the comfort of financial security. It's like, I need to be insulated by wealth because then I don't have to worry about things. It could be something as good and honest as, I, I really just need the approval of my spouse. I want to please him or her. Like, and I can't live with with having them not be okay with me. Friend, it's that one thing that he's asking you to come down off the throne. It's that one thing that he's, that's how he's calling you to die this morning. Because only one person can walk the journey to Jerusalem and pay your sin debt. That's Jesus. But he's asking you to, to come on down and to let Jesus take his rightful place. I want to woo you with this though. Like, here, like this is what God is. Like he's not just you know, get, get rid of that thing, get it out of here. No, Jesus is like, I got something better for you. I got something better. Your Jesus came down from the throne of heaven. Like willingly came down from the throne of heaven. Perfect, infinite relationship with his, with his father and the Holy Spirit. And he came down from the throne of heaven. On a golden throne? No. No, he comes to walk the path to Jerusalem. And what's Jerusalem mean for him? His unjust, shameful death on a cross. That's going to pay your eternal debt. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, this death on a cross, though, that won't stop your Jesus. He triumphantly conquers sin and death by walking out of the tomb three days later. So that's what Jesus does. And so, a big and so right here. If your Jesus would humble himself, walk the journey to Jerusalem and die your death, do you think you can trust him with your one thing? Do you think he's a trustworthy God, a trustworthy savior, a trustworthy Jesus? His friend, don't you think that he can better take care of your children's happiness? He knows better. That he can better give you career fulfillment. That he can give you a a better understanding of your financial future. Or your marriage needs. Because right now, Jesus is grabbing your face mask. And he's telling you to let it go. Come on down. Let that thing go. Come on down. You can trust me. And so this morning we get a chance to physically, intangibly experience Jesus' sacrifice for us through the Lord's Supper. Isn't isn't God so good to us that that we get to understand God as we walk through the text? We get to understand God in our hearts, but he doesn't just leave it there. He knows who we are. We are physical beings and we get to tangibly partake in the sacrifice of Jesus for us. We get to experience that. Your God is good. And so this morning, when you taste that bread and when you drink that cup, remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for, for you. Like Jesus, that, that's your particular opportunity to experience Jesus' sacrifice for you. And this morning, before you taste the bread and drink the cup, ask God for faith to repent of your one thing. Ask him for the faith to repent of your one thing and use this communion to confess your heart's desire to cling to that one thing. That that God, I in fact want to cling to that more than I want to cling to you. And ask for the faith to replace that idol with, with this, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so this is a time this morning reserved for those who believe, though imperfectly, that God's better is better, and trust Jesus as their single hope of being with God. So this morning, as you prepare, let me read to you Paul's word to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, but I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "My friends, this is for you, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there are stations up here in the front and two in the back, and there's gluten-free as well over there in the back. The worship team is going to give you some time there's there's a couple songs so you don't have to you don't have to race up this morning you can take a little time to reflect take a little time to to repent of your one thing and say say god help me to take that down off the throne and would you replace that with faith faith in you faith that jesus is better than that one thing would you give me that faith this morning let me pray for you and for us heavenly father we thank you this morning for your son. We thank you for Jesus that he willingly went the way to Jerusalem and that he went the way of the cross so that we might have access with you. And so God, I thank you this morning that we can come to you confidently because of Jesus, knowing that we get to stand before you in your presence and there is nothing else that we can do for you to be happy with us. So God, I, I pray that you would help us, Lord, because of that truth, because of that reality of, of who you've made us to be, through the person of your Son Jesus, through His work, that you would help us to, to gladly take down the, the one thing in our heart and in our lives that is ruling and reigning supreme, and replace it with this Jesus who loves us, who died for us, and who rose.